We are talking about the overflowing life. And, um, you know, I'm excited to share what we're going to talk about. But because I think a lot of times if we're exploring faith in Jesus or if we have been already following him for some time, we can become accustomed to some things. We, we can, especially if we have explored or are on the beginning stages of exploring what, what Jesus is all about, uh, we so easily understand this faith to be a very personal one. And that, although that is true, in fact, the song we just shared that we were able to receive so beautifully, I might add, that, that speaks of this prayer of wanting God to be with us, it is the very promise God fulfills. And his promise to us in a very personal way is that he will be with us. He is with us. That any who call on his name, any who embrace his son, Jesus, into their lives, they have the promise given of a love that will never abandon. And that in itself, well, that, that's a huge deal. And it's wonderful. And it's worth always highlighting. However, we, we would make a mistake if we were to think that that is the full dimension of what this faith in Jesus looks like. Because what I'd like to um, propose is that God longs for us to be committed participants of an overflowing community. And we'll, we'll call that the local church. That God longs for us to go a step beyond the personal dynamics of this faith with Jesus. And he actually invites us to consider what it might look like to be a committed participant of a local expression of his grace, which I, I want to propose is supposed to be an overflowing community. Because, listen, our involvement, one person's involvement automatically, when, when one person commits themselves, it automatically changes the dynamic of the entire community. Uh, we might know this, we might see this if we have ever been a part of a, a team, an athletic team, or if we have been in a, a business partnership or in a, in, a, in a group of people where we're both, we're all striving towards one end. We know how much of a difference is made when one person in that team or in that group Something occurred, something happens within, and all of a sudden, they, perhaps they were doing th th what was required or maybe an adequate measure of it, but then all of a sudden something occurs in that person, and they, they take a step and they go, they go all in. And we know the dynamics of that group, most of the time, when somebody does that, it actually ends up improving the rest of the group. It, it ends up elevating everybody else. And it causes, especially when it's organic, it, I would say mainly when it's organic, something happens. It's like a catalyst. And I'm going to suggest, I'm suggesting that God would want us to consider what it would look like for us to commit ourselves that way to an overflowing community. And though he wants that for us, though this faith in him is meant to be much more than just a personal faith as real and true and as good as that is, he, you know what he does? He leaves the choice of doing so up to us. He, he gives us the freedom of deciding how in are we? 
And I think this idea is captured pretty effectively when we start to look at the origins of this movement that we have now come to understand as an institution called the church. Because in reality, it began as a movement and is supposed to continue to be a movement. It was never intended to be, uh, if I could say it this way, a stale institution, static and irrelevant. It was always from its inception meant to be something that was vibrant, overflowing and causing movement. Always. And we see this. We see this. Um, when Jesus stepped onto the scene and he is doing his ministry and he tells the disciples that he is going to build his church on what he is going to do, on who he is. He's going to build his church. Now, boy, this is going to be a little bit of uh, church history, but it's just good for us to know, especially in light of the fact that we ourselves are gathered because of where this all began. And the word church, just so we understand, it comes from the Greek word ekklesia. The Greek word ekklesia, some of us may or may not know this, it was, refer, it was the way the Romans referred to a gathering of citizens. It wasn't actually a religious word. It was a word that said there is a unique group of people there gathering who have a claim on this land and on a certain status in this land. And Jesus took that word and he says, okay, I'm going to make my gathering." My gathering is going to be made up of people who have a unique claim on a certain land or a certain realm where God operates. And they have a unique status that is one of acceptance and adoption, one of great promise. And he says, I'm going to make an ecclesia too. But my ecclesia won't be on, on Roman citizenship or defined by those lines. No, my, my, my gathering is going to be defined by what I'm going to do. And what he ended up doing was he ended up giving his life on the cross, sacrifice. And he devastated. The disciples were devastated. They ran away. They were fearful. They thought the movement was over. And three days later, they were stunned, perhaps more stunned than anyone else, that there was an empty tomb. And Jesus, Jesus did the unthinkable to them. He revealed himself as one who was alive, resurrected, from the dead. And that transformed the disciples. Now, he told them to do two things. One, he says, I want you to tell everybody that I am alive. He says, another thing, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to wait there. God is going to move on you in a unique way. And we could read this actually in Acts 2. But what, what we know happened is that Scholars, historians, commentators, they believe there was around 120 people that ended up gathering in Jerusalem. We don't know exactly where. They call it the upper room, but it was near the temple. And they were gathered together. They were praying. These were people that had come to a point of believing Jesus to be who he said he was. And they had now been convinced that Jesus was alive. And they were praying. They were doing what Jesus told them to do, which is to gather and to wait on God. And so that's what they were doing. And they were doing it on a particular holiday, a Jewish holiday, a holy day named, known as Pentecost. And at this, this time, they're gathered together and there seems to be more than just 120. There were other people. So it was a spacious place where there were other people watching and there. And all of a sudden, this is a remarkable account takes place. And you could read it yourself in Acts 2. God's spirit descends upon them in a historic fashion, one that has never been duplicated since. Not in the same way, at least. 
in such a way that these, this group of 120 people were told they are filled. They sense something of God's presence in their soul. And they themselves end up erupting with, with enthusiasm and joy. They start singing songs. They start praying prayers. But the, 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 the thing about that is this gathering wasn't just a localized group of people. They, they were Jewish people from all over the Roman Empire. So they spoke different tongues, different languages. They came from different cultures. And they were we're all gathered together and these people start hearing prayers and worship songs in their own language, which was in itself stunning. And this ends up kind of surprising the people watching. All of a sudden, this group of people who were praying were just kind of just overjoyed and enthusiastic and praying and singing this kind of amazing way. And, and they, some people are weirded out. They're like, what's going on? Others start mocking them. And you can read this. But they end up accusing this group of people. They say, would you believe that? Man, they had too much to drink. <laughs> They're tripping out. Like, you know, it's my slang, but that, that's essentially in the Greek, you know. Uh, but they, they basically, man, they, they had too much to drink. Look at them. They're drunk. <laughs> They're drunk. Can you believe that? Look at them. They're acting so foolishly, right? And all of a sudden, Peter on the other side of that steps up and Peter ends up saying, oh, time out. Hold on. Hold on. Um, first of all, it's 9 a.m. Okay. Uh, no one has had too much to drink. Okay. The, the wine has not been flowing. Okay. It's 9 a.m. We're just getting started with our day. In fact, and then he goes in and he delivers the church's first recorded sermon. And this sermon, in a, in a nutshell, is essentially Peter saying, Jesus died and rose again. This man, whom you have all heard about, is alive. And I asked him to put this up there. In response to that, Verse 37 of Acts 2, we're told that when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They, the conviction that Peter had on the backdrop of this undeniable evidence of God's presence ends up, the words, the conviction, the presence of God, all of it ends up uniting and it creates, you, you said, it hit them at the core of their being. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles' brothers, what should we do then? If what you're saying is true, which I think it is, what are we to do? And Peter responds which, with something that we would say is a bit loaded, but actually wasn't that loaded in that day. He, he said to them, Peter said to them, repent, which means turn around, change your mind, change directions where your life is going. Be baptized. That is publicly, if you believe this to be true, don't be ashamed of it. Do it publicly. Publicly claim your allegiance to God. And every one of you, in the name of Jesus, the Christ, which is a title naming king, he says, for the forgiveness of your sins. You know what he's essentially saying? You don't have to live up to God's measurements. He's made a way for us. He has done it for us. And any who claim his name, we, we have a pathway to God. He says, and you, if you do this, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is, the presence of God will be with you wherever you go. Luke says that that moment, on the other side of that, 3,000 people 
ended up doing what Peter suggested they do. 3,000. Now, numbers aren't everything. But if we could think about this, 120 people had begun there in this kind of prayer time. Something happens. God shows up. Peter delivers a sermon. It must have been quite a sermon. Because then all of a sudden, that, that group multiplied 25 times over. <laughs> That's a big deal. Something remarkable happened. And that group of 3,000 people ended up becoming the, this became the the, catal- the catalyst for the movement that we now know because that group didn't just remain in Jerusalem. It ended up extending beyond Jerusalem for a variety of reasons and events, but they ended up going into Samaria, into the wider Judean area, and then they expanded into other parts of the Roman Empire. And, and they ended up spreading throughout the entire world because of the beginning. The, this group of people that said, we're in. Because of that, now over 2,000 years later, something that we have taken for granted It's happening all over the world. Millions of people are gathering together. And it all began right here. It was an overflowing community of people who decided to commit themselves to each other and to what Jesus was doing among them. And and Luke ends up capturing just kind of some qualities of how this group was defined. And I'd like us to just kind of read through this together. And you open up your handout, we'll read through this in Acts 2 and verse 42. He says, They devoted themselves, they being this group, this gathering, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to breaking of bread and prayers. That is, they had meals together. They invited each other to each other's homes. They spent large amounts of time together. They wanted to learn. Verse 43, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Luke is doing more than just capturing facts. Luke is trying to tell Theophilus, whom he's writing to, what you have heard, it is true. This is how it began. And it was a movement, it was a moment in history that had never occurred before. He says the energy the amount of enthusiasm that this group of people had, it, it was remarkable. You know, what, you know what he's trying to capture? It's hard for us to understand exactly what was happening here, but maybe we could put it in a different context. See, in our context, we would understand what it looked like for a group of people to gather around an idea and they try to monetize that idea, and we call that a startup culture. And where, where does balance go there? Ba- balance? No, we're going to change the world. We're in. We're sleeping, eating, working, everything together. We're in. Luke is saying, that's how the church began. Right there. They, they, they didn't hold anything back. They were all the way in. All the way in. This is what he's saying. They were committed. And then something remarkable happens. Just organically flows out. Verse 45. And they were selling. Think about, think about this. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Generosity just erupted. It just 
afloat. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. That is, they were celebrating the fact that Jesus was alive. And that in itself, the fact that Jesus overcame death became the marking point of this gathering. When they gathered, there was so much joy and gladness. People would give their food to each other. They would invite each other. Why? Because all of a sudden, for the first time in human history, there was evidence that there was life after this one and there was hope that was gripping this community. That ended up stirring something, not within the community alone, but others as well. And we're told in verse 47 that praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. In other words, people started to become attracted to this movement. And people started seeing it and hearing about it and seeing their neighbors and their friends treat each other a unique way. And they, this, this, we have to know this, they were witnessing something that had never happened before. And they wanted in. Because in that day, there were gatherings. There were gatherings, but they had very strict delineations and separations. The gatherings highlighted what was different about one another. For example, in the Roman Empire, Aristocrats, they, they gathered with other aristocrats. The working class gathered with other working class. Certain ethnicity groups, they didn't, they didn't go beyond their ethnicity group. Certain religions, they did not go beyond that. Certain cultures, they stuck together. And there was a very clear understanding. For example, the merchant class or the business class, they hung out with each other. There was never, they, they, this, this was unheard of for, if we could put it this way, a servant to gather with their master in a social setting. <laughs> no, that simply never happened. And this ecclesia, this church, was violating every single one of these delineations. And all of a sudden, for the first time in human history, there was a gathering. Yes, it began first predominantly as Jewish, but it expanded beyond, where every tribe, all cultures, different religious backgrounds, socioeconomic status, aristocrats were hanging out, socializing, connecting on an equal basis with working class people. Servants and masters, all of a sudden, they called each other brother and sister. A familial term. It was shocking. And people wanted in. They wanted in. How, how is that possible and how do I get a part of that? Luke goes on several chapters later and he tries to capture again Verse 32, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. He keeps carping on this. But you know what he also said here? I mean, if we could just pause here. He says that about more than 3,000 people were, they were united. How? In heart and soul. <laughs> They were remarkably united. More than 3,000 people united in heart and soul. Now, I've only been married seven years. But I can say this. It's challenging for two people <laughs> to say we are completely united in heart. Disagreement between, no, what? That, okay, that, if we see that, if we ever see the real deal, we say, wow, they have extreme unity. You know what? We would stop. Okay, hold on. 
what's your secret, okay? How'd you do it? Because we know differences emerge. Personalities emerge. Things happen. Disagreements occur. Different perspectives, right? We could watch the same thing, walk out, have two completely different perspectives. And what is, you know what Luke is saying? Luke is trying to tell us something. This was miraculous. It was amazing. And then he, he continues and he says, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection. There it is, that he is alive and great grace was upon them all. There was an undeniable transformation in their conviction and people started to hear them. And there was, look, there was not a needy person among them. He, this is now the third time he's saying it. It's almost as if he's saying, no, this really happened. No, this is not a joke. This, is, this actually happened. For as many as were owners of land and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as one as any had need. Luke is trying to say, no, this actually occurred. And here's the deal about this. No one, you know what it, we're not being told? No one stood up in the church after all this energy and all of this movement was happening and all this unity was occurring. Nobody stood up and said, okay, now here's the plan. Those of you who own stuff, sell it and uh, let's fund this, you know. Like, no one said that. It was organic. It, somebody decided, I so believe in this. They just did it. It reminds me of this video I saw a while ago. I'm sure it's still available on YouTube, but it was this, it was this concert, and um, there was a group of people on a grassy field, and there was a band playing. I don't know what band was playing, but you could hear the music in the background, and, and you could see the group of people. They were kind of just like uh, almost annoyed by the band. You know, it's like the band was getting in the way of them socializing. They were just hanging out oblivious to the music. And in the video, there was this one man who heard the music differently. It, it, he, he, he heard it differently. He enjoyed the music. I'm going to make an assumption he was in his right mind. But he ends up in the video, ends up standing up, and he starts dancing. And he starts, like, going for it, dancing. You know, he's like, he's, he's, put, he's, put, he's busting a move, you know. <laughs> and he's going for it. And, you know, I'm not going to give you a demo, but he was... <laughs> He was out there. And people, people around him were noticing, but they weren't noticing like in a, man, look at that guy go. They were more like, <laughs> look at that guy go, you know? And he didn't care. He just kept going. Like he was just dancing. He was having a good time. He loved the music. He loved the environment. He was just going for it. And it was a solid like two to three minutes of him alone in the middle of a field surrounded by people somewhat mocking him, him just dancing. And we see it, in the, you see it, that this guy all of a sudden out of nowhere gets inspired. He runs down the hill, almost runs into him, doesn't know him. You can tell they're like surprised. And then they're like, they start dancing. And these two guys in the middle of the field just are dancing. You know, they're going for it. They're enjoying the music, these two people. And all of a sudden the trickle effect happens. Somebody else gets inspired. A third person, then a fourth, and then a fifth. And then before you know it, by the end of the video, the entire grassy field is filled with just people going nuts. You know, just dancing. The party just erupted. Now, if you're the band, you're thinking, man, we are good. I mean, <laughs> wow, we, that just happened, right? But what really happened is one guy decided to jump out there, go all in. And then somebody else decided, I'm with you. And what Luke is trying to tell us, 
That's how the church began. That's how the church began. Jesus went all in. And people, people was like, are you, I'm in, I'm in. He says, this nameless, faceless group of people that began this movement, Luke ends up narrowing down. He says, let, let me give you a snapshot of like one, what one of these people looked like. In fact, his name is Joseph in verse 36. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means on the son of encouragement. He was a natural encourager. He was also a Levite. His family served in the temple. A native of Cyprus, which is a nearby island in the, in the sea of in the sea the Mediterranean Sea. And we're told in verse 37 that he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This community, Luke is saying, was made up of individuals like him. It was overflowing. It was a remarkable community. It was the beginning of a movement that has lasted many, many generations. Now, I see this in itself. It's like, wow. I got to be honest with you. I read this and part of me actually is bothered because I, it just feels like a different world. And I just wonder, you know, something inside of me is just, did it, did it actually happen? Did it really occur? And historians corroborate. In fact, the entire Roman Empire was flipped upside down because of this movement. There's no denying it happened. Well, we have to understand a couple things. One, we have to understand Luke wasn't writing this in a descriptive nature. You know, if some of us, <laughs> we might be here. This is maybe our first time, or maybe this is our first handful of times we're just checking church out. We don't even know if we, if we believe Jesus to be who he says he is. And we might be hearing this, and you might be thinking in your mind, like, oh my goodness, he, he, he's going to ask, he's going to ask us to sell our houses and <laughs> our possessions. And he's gonna, he's, I mean, that's just crazy, right? Like, and you're thinking, what's the fastest way I can get out, um, <laughs> you know? Because we might think, well, but this is how it's supposed to be. But you know what? He wasn't writing in a prescriptive way. He was writing in a descriptive way. He was describing how this whole movement began. And he was trying to tell us something. This was amazing. And you know what? It continues to be. And it's never been 100% duplicated. But this, the, the kernels of it, the grains of it, what made this an overflowing community is what we're supposed to grab of. And we might also make the mistake. We might read this and we might think, boy, you know what? This was the one time in history where the kindest, most loving, generous group of people just happened to gather together. And that's why this happened. Because man alive, people were just giving stuff away, selling their stuff, giving it to each other. They used to be strangers and now they're treating each other like family. What is this, right? And we could think that and we, might be, we would be severely mistaken because the very next sentence in this account tells of a couple who wanted PR points. They sold their field. They gave a portion of it. They kept portion back and they said they gave all of it. They pretended to be more generous than they were. They... They wanted the PR. And then we're told later throughout the, gospel, the account of Acts that the church actually ended up accusing each other. And then you, all we have to do is read a couple of epistles that Paul writes to different churches. And he says to them, why are you guys gossiping? Why are you guys lying to each other? Why are you stealing from each other? Like you're suing each other. What's up, man? What's going on? You know what he's saying to us? Every, this church, this church was made up of normal people. 
Imperfect people. Broken people. People with baggage. Which is why it's so amazing. It's why it's so amazing. It was something that God had done. And I believe he longs to continue to do. And it was impacted by individuals. Individuals, organically, not of compulsion, deciding to do a couple things. I'd like us to consider what they model for us. Because God longs for us to be committed participants of an overflowing community, the local church. He does. He really does. It is our choice, though. And I think the first thing he, he models for us, this church models for us, this gathering, is that an overflowing community, it commits itself to learning what faith in Jesus is all about. Uh, I, I, I personally love this because they, what does Luke tell us? They, when they came to a point of faith, you know what? That wasn't the finishing line. That was the starting line. You know what they didn't do? They didn't put their intellect aside because of their faith. They didn't put their logic aside because of their faith. They didn't put their understanding aside. In fact, what they did is they called upon every faculty at their disposal to learn. What did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which was what? The gospel. Peter, who is the man who delivered that first sermon, ends up writing to the churches and he says to them, for this very reason, make every effort to, look at this, supplement your faith with virtue and knowledge. Know the depth and the width of what you believe. And this faith of ours, it is simple enough for a child to grasp. And it is deep enough for a scholar to swim in. The full dimension of it takes a lifetime to enjoy, discover. You know what they were saying? They were, they were saying, how does this faith in Jesus impact me personally? Something that we are very readily, we, we do that readily. But they went beyond that. They said, how does this faith in Jesus impact me relationally? How does this faith in Jesus impact me occupationally? How does this faith in Jesus impact me with my resources and my time and my energy, my involvement and my commitments? How does this faith in Jesus inform all of those aspects of who I am? Doing that, learning more about that, I think, naturally flowed into what also happens in an overflowing community, which is that it devotes itself to loving one another. To loving one another. Um, this might be somewhat startling for us to hear. It wasn't the charity the church demonstrated to those outside the church that impacted people. It was the charity the church demonstrated toward one another that impacted people. It was the level of love and acceptance, grace and forgiveness that this gathering demonstrated toward each other that so grabbed the attention of everyone outside of it because they saw something they had never seen before. They were united by Jesus, not personal interest, which is what every other movement had except for this one. 
that gripped them. And they ended up, you know, a committed, loving relationship. I tread here with some trepidation. But marriage at its best is supposed to exemplify this. You know, a committed relationship. You know what it does? It removes the ability for us to say, you annoy me. Peace. Get out. Defriend it. We can't, we, can't, we can't do that when we're committed. You know, a committed relationship, you know what it does? It, it strips us of that ability to check out. And it gives us the opportunity to exercise some muscles. Because all of a sudden, in a committed relationship, in a committed community, when we say we're all in and I'm here to stay, you know what happens? Well, we learn how to remain through the ups and downs of emotion. We learn how to forgive, and in a committed relationship, we get ample opportunity to do so. And we learn how to ask for forgiveness. And we learn how to give grace. And we learn how to receive grace. We learn how to be merciful, because there will be a day when we will ask for mercy. We learn how to give and to receive what is given to us. We learn how to serve and how to be served. We learn how to be a part of something that is larger than our individual life. And we discover, we discover that love, love is actually the epitome. They were modeling what Jesus said they should do. In fact, I asked him to put this up there. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. You are to love one another. And so when we, when we sign up with Jesus or when we explore faith in Jesus on a purely personal level, but we cut ourselves off from his people, you know what ends up happening? We cut our, ourselves off from the full dimension of what this faith is supposed to be in the first place. Which is supposed to be not just personally holistic and healing. It is also meant to be relationally holistic and healing. And it is also meant to be relationally strengthening. And we become the people that others can count on. And we end up becoming a piece of a movement that overflows. Jesus said, there's a unique love you share with each other. Unlike any other. Unlike any other. And that, that also means that an overflowing community, you know what, it, it becomes attractive to those who are not followers of Jesus. That, that, how do, you know what people say, how do I become a part of that? How do I, how do I get in on that? Because what do they see? They see, they see what the human heart longs for. We long for purpose. We long for something beyond ourselves. We long to be loved and to love. We long to be known and to know. We long to be accepted and embraced. We long to belong. And when they see a group of people that are wildly different from different economic statuses, from different backgrounds, from different ethnicities and heritages and religions and different ways of being, when they see a group of people loving each other the way that we, was modeled here, you know what ends up happening is they say, I want to belong to that. How? How do I belong to that? Um, a little while ago, my wife and I wanted to celebrate my 30th birthday, and 
we had made plans to invite friends, cater different things, it just kind of had the celebration. And the day of everything just kind of fell through. All the plans just, you know, just everything caved in. Didn't, didn't come, things just happened. And, and so we were scrambling, we're like, oh my goodness, we had told people to gather. Um, and now we didn't know where to go. So we just kind of went online and we found this barbecue spot in the city and we called and had a table available. And so we went ahead and just give us as many seats as we can to take the table. And we tell our friends, meet us at the spot. And they're like, yeah, sweet. Is it good? I, I don't know. You know, I've never been there. Uh, we're just going to go check it out. And they're like, all right, let's go. And, and we showed up and we took over this barbecue restaurant. And it was, there was a bar on the left and there was kind of the rest of the restaurant and sports TVs everywhere. And it was packed and we had this table in the center of the restaurant and everyone who came in it was kind of like walking through hug row you know they were just like hey what's up man giving each other hugs and you know doing the whole jazz and so we were just kind of <laughs> doing all that and then and then it was just kind of natural it's just kind of what friends you know what we do right and then as we gathering around the table we're, we're we it's time to eat everyone waits for everyone to get the, the meal in front of them and so we all get the meal and then we hey why don't we pray and we we just pray it's like this is what we naturally do and so we pray and we ask god would you bless this meal and and then throughout the course of the night, I just wanted to express to my friends how much I appreciated them and why I appreciate them. And you know, it was my birthday, and so they, they, were, they were very kind and generous as well. And, and this whole thing is going on. And by the end of the evening, the, one of the servers comes with the owner of the restaurant and comes up to one of the people in the group and says, Hey, um, who are you guys? Um, are you guys like a club or... And the guy was like, well, um, we're friends, actually. Uh, we're just friends. And it's his birthday, and uh, we're part of this church, Cornerstone. And we're just, you know, he goes, man, you guys are the largest group here. You're the cleanest. <laughs> and you're so kind. And you're helping our server out. And she was stressing out a little bit. You're helping our server out. What? What is this about? And we start talking. Start sharing. By the end of that, you say, you know, your group? Your group's invited here anytime. <laughs> you know, he said, well, what our way of being says. The way we love each other. You know what it says to others? Hey, you? You're invited here anytime. Anytime. You know what they saw? They saw Jesus among us. They didn't know it. But they saw God among us. And when that happens, when we do that, when we are part of a community that's vibrant and alive and loving each other and sacrificial, because you, here's the deal. Love. You know what love is? Love is risky. Oh, is it risky? Put yourself out there. It's risky. You know what? It's also painful. To say otherwise is a lie. But you know what it also is? Love is beautiful. Oh, and is it attractive? Is it? It is so attractive. And when, when people see that, you know what we get to say? Come. Come on. You want to be part of this? Yeah. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter. Come on. Come on. I mean, let's talk about Jesus. You're always invited here. Always, come on. That's an overflowing community. That's what we're invited to be a part of. That's what our involvement creates. 
That's what God would long for each of us to commit ourselves to. Oh, would that be the case? Would our church community, not just ours, many in the city and throughout the world, would we be known as the places in their cities, in their towns, in the villages, that others see and say, wow, look how they love each other. I want in. I want in. In a moment, we're going to receive our time of giving, closing song. I'm just going to pray. God, I thank you. I thank you, Jesus, that you come to us personally in the most intimate ways. The core of who we are, you know it, you speak to it, you meet us right there. But then you do beyond that. You, you, you don't leave us alone. You invite us to be a part of your people. You invite us to be a part of a community, a relational connection that is larger than our small lives. And you invite us into a movement. I pray, God, for our community. I pray, O Spirit of God, that you would descend upon us in such a way that uh, we would be inspired, encouraged, filled with joy that causes us to say, I'm all in. I'm all in. And I pray that your beautiful love would flow through this community into the city and you would be honored. In Jesus' name.